You're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Uh, this week we've got another extra episode. We are Justin-less, so you're not used to hearing me uh, do the intro, so I apologize for that. But uh, this is we're still catching up on some of our San Diego Comic-Con uh, backlog. And one of the things that I did, if you listen to our Roundup show, you'll know that I went to the press conference for The Killing Joke, uh, the DC Batman book that was just recently made into an animated film. Uh, I went to the press conference for that, and what we're going to do is we're going to play the audio from my roundtable, from my table um, with all six interviews. We're going to play all those audios for you, but we wanted to have a little bit of a conversation about The Killing Joke as a story, about the original book, about the film, about the pros and cons of the book. So I brought on a couple fellow Geek Dad contributors, and I want to introduce them right now. First up, we've got Karina Lawson. Hello. Hello. And uh, we've also got Kishore Hari. Hello. Hi. Thank you guys, both of you, for joining us. Um, I'm going to give you each, you know, if you want to talk about yourself, say who you are, where people can find you, plug whatever you need to plug, feel free. Karina, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I've been a core contributor for Geek Dad and also co-founded GeekMom.com, which is sort of now jointly on the website for Geek Dad. Um, In my fiction life, I write uh, romance novels with a geeky twist. I have a series with uh, superheroes and uh, a steampunk book. And um, my first experience with The Killing Joke is actually very backwards because I read Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. Um, the comic, and everybody said, oh, you have to read The Killing Joke, and then I read The Killing Joke. So I sort of did it backwards. <laughs> and We'll, uh, we'll come I, back to that. Uh, <laughs> Kishore? Uh, I'm Kishore Hari. I'm an occasional contributor to Geek Dad. I also am a science educator at a university by day, and I work at Tested.com as their science correspondent as well. Uh, and I'll just add that this is deeply personal to me because The Killing Joke was one of those formative graphic novels that I read as an adolescent that like shaped my love of comicdom. So this whole discussion, I jumped at the chance as soon as I heard you were going to be talking about it. Excellent. Well, good. I'm glad to have you here, and I'm glad uh, I'm glad we could finally make this work. Uh, we had some scheduling issues, but I'm glad we could make this work out for everybody. Um, so I guess... I guess we should get it out of the way first. Um, For those of you who are unaware of what The Killing Joke is, um, I could have done a little bit of research. Do do either of you know what year it came out, the book? 1988. 1988. 1988, it came out, written by Alan Moore, with art by Brian Brian Boland. Um, It was originally... uh, Published as sort of... It wasn't an Elseworlds title, but it was sort of not canon it was just one of like a what if as sort of off to the side type story um and and in a nutshell the story is joker joker basically destroys uh batman batgirl and commissioner gordon and his whole point is if anybody has a bad enough day they could turn into me um, and that's sort of what it is in a nutshell. There, it goes a lot deeper. There's been quite a bit of controversy about it. Um, recently, it's been back in the news because they made uh, DC made an animated film about it, um, and it is rated R. It's the very it's the first R-rated animated film the DC universe has put out. 
Um, and that was a point of contention and it was a point of topic with many of the uh, interviewees that you'll hear later at the press conference, how they, many of them, if not all of them, including the director, felt that there was no way that they could have told this story and done it justice if it were not rated R. Uh, before we talk too much about the film, though, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I want to go back and talk about the the graphic novel. Absolutely. For a second, because uh, I think this is one of those seminal Batman works uh, in the sense that it's the first time I recall, or at least it's the first really popular version, where the Joker is painted as a real tragic figure, and we look at his origin story in a really different way he wasn't just some criminal that fell into like a vat of chemicals he was a in this story he's a washed up um stand-up comic that really struggles and you see his home life and you see all of these little things that happen to him that build over the course of the graphic novel that finally tips when he does actually fall into the vat of chemicals and it drives him completely insane uh, and I think the other thing to to note is this is the first time I recall seeing Batman and Joker uh, shown as two sides of the same coin, um, because this really does paint the two of them as being the same people with just one slight difference in between them, uh, I think, shifting their outcomes. Well, and, and I think you've pretty much nailed why people look back on this story. But I will tell you, my first reaction when I read the story was, you are not welcome in comics anymore. Um, And I know that sounds extreme, but probably Batgirl was when I was six years old. And when girls, and this was like 1972, so girls weren't supposed to do anything or do, and I looked at, oh my God, you know, I want a motorcycle, you know, all that, you know, sort of instant, uh, you know, kid adulation. And so I had read The Birds of Prey and I knew this thing had happened to Barbara Gordon, but, you know, The Birds of Prey had her still as a very strong character and very interesting character. So I went back and I read The Killing Joke and it's not so much that she gets destroyed. Um, What you just said about the Joker, how you could feel, how it could have one bad day, We, the only purpose Barbara Gordon has in that story is a prop for everyone else's story. And so what you're seeing and sympathizing, there is none of that for women. In fact, I'm supposed to sympathize with the guy who raped, didn't rape, but it's unclear with the Mm -hmm. images, and assaulted, and that's supposed to be the greatest story, one of the greatest Batman stories ever, which tells me that I don't, I collectively don't matter. Um, to the people writing Batman stories. And I, and when I did some research on it, and you get the infamous quote of, let's cripple the bitch um, from the head of DC Comics at the time, it, yeah, you know. And, and so I see why people think it's a brilliant story. But to me, it just says, we don't care about you, you know, in it. I have to say, even though it's one of my favorite seminal works, your description of of uh, Batgirl in the story is spot on. She is an afterthought. She is just a vehicle for the Joker to be a maniac around. And it's not Batgirl. It could have been anyone uh, in in some sense. But the I think the reason they chose it is because it was Gordon's daughter. And then he goes on to torture Gordon. But uh, you're well, absolutely... 
100% right that she's an afterthought in the story. No, I think it chose her because she was a woman. Okay. And usually, traditionally, women are the vehicles of male rage and revenge in stories. Um, I think I wrote a column a few weeks ago trying, I think maybe it was a year or so ago, trying to explain what it feels like when you read something like that. It would be as if the seminal Superman Lex Luthor story is when Superman gets raped by Lex Luthor and then has to come back. And then somebody else comes in. Lois Lane and is the heroine of the story and Superman is just sort of broken. That's what it feels like. I mean, that's the closest I can come to describing it. So I'm back to, if it's such a horrible thing, why didn't we see it happen to Batman? Why did it have to be her? And because it's her because of the whole revenge, you know, mythic kind of thing that men have to go avenge their lost children or lost women but it doesn't happen to them because that would be too scary so Kishore you said this story spoke to you when you know you first started reading and it was sort of the seminal work for you I mean what 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 was it though particularly that 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 reached out to you was it that depiction of the Joker like you said or I, it was two things, and I'll describe it in um, an analogy to modern times. Like, uh, do you recall when you first saw The Dark Knight and you saw Heath Ledger's performance in that right. movie? Sure. And uh, for me, that was I, I. I fell in love with that portrayal. I had nightmares that first night after I saw The Dark Knight because of how incredibly uh, maniacal he portrayed the Joker. This is the first graphic novel I remember reading where I saw Joker in that light. And it wasn't that this was the first time Joker had been portrayed that way. It was just a combination of how the art was done and this story of where he comes and cripples Barbara Gordon. And he is unrelenting in this graphic novel that paints Joker in a whole new light. Cause I was used to watching the Adam West campy Batman's with my older brother um, before I got to like this graphic novel and some of the other um, pieces of Batman lore. So it was um, for me, it changed who the Joker was in my mind. And that's why it stuck with me so much. And uh, the one shot of him emerging from the, you know, the chemical plant sewer grate, hold clutching his hair and his skin white with a little bit of blood trickling down. Um, I like I. I feel like that is my when somebody describes a Joker to me, I think of that image. Karina, I want to ask if, and I know this is kind of revisionist history in in a way, because mm-hmm. when he wrote this story, this was you know there was no Oracle. This is what led ultimately to Oracle. And Wait, no, no, no. Actually, it the fact that something happened, it's sort of like, well, it was a car crash, so I got a new car. It's sort of like saying, that's the quickest analogy I can come up with. So basically what happened is DC wanted to retire Barbara Gordon. They didn't have any use for her. And so I want to tell the story because I feel like mm-hmm. every time someone reads The Killing Joke, someone needs to hand them the John Ostrander, Kim Yale, Suicide Squad. Because mm-hmm. it was Kim Yale the late Kim Yale, who died of breast cancer, very young, um, and her husband, John Ostrander, who were running Suicide Squad. And they basically were like, well, are you doing anything with Barbara Gordon? And was like, DC, nah, we don't, whatever. She's crippled, we don't care. And so they lifted her 
into their story. And it's a very long running story because you don't find out it's actually Barbara Gordon until like six or seven issues into it after you know she's Oracle. So it's a very p- powerful story. And it's the story that doesn't get told in The Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel like that story is valuable. Um, I know why The Killing Joke is. And I cannot deny uh, what Kishore said about the power of the Joker, the one bad day, and the brilliance of the artwork. But it is a story that leaves like 52% of the comic reader, and I think deliberately so on the part of DC, out of it. it. I wouldn't say Alan Moore because he was probably riffing on something that he thought was interesting at the time, and he's done a lot of other different things. Um, so I don't like to say the killing joke led to Oracle mm-hmm. because it, it didn't. It was Kim Yale and John Ostrander that led to Oracle. But would Oracle and- would Oracle have been developed if not for the Killing Joke, though, just playing devil's advocate, there would, there would be no Barbara Gordon at all if not for Kim, o- John Ostrander, and Kim Yale. There would be no Oracle if they hadn't stepped in. Barbara Gordon would just be nothing. She would just be the crippled daughter of uh, Commissioner Gordon. Seriously, I mean that's how little DC was doing. Maybe twenty years down the line, somebody might have lifted, but Oracle was there idea and their concept and had they not been there it never would have happened whatever happened with the killing joke or not mm-hmm. yeah what's what's interesting about this uh graphic novel is it came out in 88 and so all of the ways that we have as fans now to connect with each other obviously didn't exist back then uh but there is like in researching you know some of the history of this story there are a lot of authors said that there it was really divisive uh even when it came out along the lines that Karina mentions. And um, there's even a quote, I think, in a book, and I have to look up what it was, that Alan Moore expressed some regret at the level of violence that was displayed towards Barbara in the book in retrospect. What kind of solace that offers? I think very little. But at least it shows that these themes that Karina is talking about, I think it's important to note they were themes that were and critiques that were emerging in the time as well, not just... Uh, well after the fact. I guess my one big critique of the the book is that I'd wish if it was truly about anyone could become something like the Joker, that the violence had been done to Batman himself um, and not Barbara Gordon. Because as a whole, that idea and that concept is really fascinating. And isn't Batman the Animated Series have a episode sort of like that? Like where the, the killing joke, joke? Well, no, the Joker's trying to drive someone over the edge into having a one bad day. and he's, Yeah, it's just yeah. like a Joe Schmo guy yeah. Um, yeah. that he tries to do that, too. And like, and then that guy like kind of freaks out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree. I mean, because other like iconic Batman stories are, you know, the Joker doing this to Robin, you know, and killing Jason Todd. You, it, but at the same time, there's a re- the reason it doesn't happen to Batman is like, you need those are the yin and yang that he needs in the story. So he needs to do it to something that Batman cares deeply about because you can't have Batman, you know, all apologies to the Nightfall series. You can't have Batman um, be paraplegic or be uh, tortured in in a physical way that they can't combat each other. At least that's how I see it. Um, We should probably start talking about the film, though. We've been talking about the book for a while. Well, it's, it's, I mean, I want to say they're one and the same, but they're not because they've, 
that the film has added quite a bit. Um, but before we get to that, I wanted to ask, I mean, you guys are obviously coming at this from kind of different directions. Um, you have diff- very different histories with the story. Um, I want to know your feelings about the ending, about you know the, the laugh that the two of them share. Actually, all this stuff about Barbara Gordon aside, I hate the ending. I don't think it's a good Batman story. I think it's a very good Joker story, but that seems... When I was growing up, Batman was the guy, the one last good guy, um, the guardian. And so for him to just share a joke after all this violence has happened mm-hmm. um, with the Joker, as if they're kindred spirits, that seemed to me a violation of at least my view of the character of Batman. So even if that other stuff had not happened, mm-hmm. I would say brilliant story, but I didn't like the ending. Mm-hmm. So that's I, probably Kishore disagrees. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, no surprise here that I disagree <laughs> because I love the ending, though I have to say the way it exists in my mind, and that's the brilliant of, of the graphic novels, you fill in the spaces between the pains, is that the, the laugh at, that they share at the end in my mind was more maniacal from Batman, not like a gentle, oh, that was a funny joke kind of laugh. Like it showed that there was some bit of him that was a little bit insane too. So that, like, for me, it felt it felt like a validation that the Joker was right on some level. Some indication that there is just a fine line in between him and Batman. So in that way, it really worked, and it really closed the story well for me. Have, have you heard about the alternate edi- ending that was tossed about, or the real ending that supposedly is in there, the real reading of it that more intended, or no? No, I haven't. Um, it's that in the last panel, I, and I forget the, I don't have the book in front of me, but there's a, a shot of their feet or a shot away from them that Batman actually breaks the Joker's neck. And that's the end of the book. And that was the theory going around a few years ago, Hmm. just kind of another way to look at what happens. I don't know if I like that better. I, I think I like that less. It's that's less in keeping with the character of Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, you know. We're talking about this now, and yes, the film just came out. Um, but I also feel that there was another book that just came out that shares a lot of parallels with this. Um, you know, the 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 conceit of this book is that the Joker thinks if you have just a bad enough day, you're one step away from turning into me. Um, the Paul Dini book, Dark Knight, that just came out, um, which is his graphic novel memoir of the, his um, vicious, his mugging that happened in the early 90s and how he lived through that and came over it, got over it. I feel like that touches on the same general idea um, because what he's talking about is that one terrible, terrible event that nearly destroyed his life and, and put everything into this bright new perspective for him and how he made made it through it. And how he got through it was with Batman and was with the Batman characters. But to him, the characters were hopeful and they were there to, to prop him up and to support him and to get him back on the path. And I feel like with The Killing Joke, it's almost the opposite. It's It's... It's the Joker saying, you got a terrible enough day, you can go crazy and become a, you know, homicidal lunatic. Whereas with the Paul Dini book, it's saying, you have a terrible enough day, yeah, it's terrible, 
But if you have hope and if you have something that gets you back up on your feet, you can move forward and end up in a better place. I just want to point out one thing about Dini's story. The events did not happen to his daughter or his lover. True. It happened to him. True. Which is, which is probably my crux of my annoyance or upset or whatever you want to call it with the yeah. killing joke. Um, That's a very good point. So talking about the movie, I mentioned at the top, you know, when, when the book came out, it was not official canon. It was a sort of a, a what if story that didn't take place in the regular DC universe. Over the years, it became part of Batman's history. It became not part of his history. And it's always sort of been there. And um, they've been making these animated movies for a long time now. And um, this one, I guess, has always been on the list of possibilities, but nobody ever thought that it would get made because of the the violence and the graphic nature of the story. Um, but they did. They went ahead and they did it, and they got permission to make it rated R. Um, have either of you seen it? I saw it opening weekend. I almost waited in line at San Diego Comic-Con for like eight hours to watch it in Ballroom 20. <laughs> I was like prepared, and I was I had a place in line. I was so ready to do it, and then like... My friend was like, you know, you can watch this on Monday night. Exactly. That's why I didn't bother. (laughs) Yeah. So I immediately like I went and did that. I reserved seats at a nice movie theater to see it. Thoughts? I absolutely hated it. Yeah. I loathed it to my core. That that seems to be the general consensus. So that seems to be the consensus, whether you like the book or you hate the book, or you have really no feelings whatsoever about the book. So for everybody listening, the book is, what, 46, 48 pages. It's not a very long book, Um, but they had to go ahead and they made like an hour and a half movie out of it. Um, And so, you know, a 46 page comic book without dialogue in every panel is only going to end up to be about a 40 to 45 page screenplay. It's not in which is like, what, 40 minutes. So it's not going to it's not going to carry a whole movie. So they had to add a lot to the film and what they did is they thought that they were adding a whole backstory to Barbara Gordon to make her a more fully fleshed out character what they did was they made her a love interest of Batman and they didn't really so much flesh out her character but they just made her more of a victim Um, and that is what really sort of got under everybody's skin whether you liked the book or you didn't like the book so Kishore you like the book but you still hate the movie. Was that why? Was it back? Was it the Barbara Gordon backstory? So let's get this straight. I love the book. Okay. And I hated this movie. Like I couldn't be more polar opposite. The Batgirl stuff bothered me. Um, but I had heard rumors that there was going to be something involving her backstory before I even got to the theater. So I was sort of like prepared to be disappointed around what they were doing with Batgirl. But what, um, so that's not what got my, uh, blood boiling early on because I was just expecting um, something along those lines. I wasn't happy with how that went. I felt like they, um, they while they tried to add complexity to Batgirl and Batman's relationship, um, I felt like they just um, diluted who Batgirl represented for me. Um, so in the long term, that's what's going to hurt. 
But for me, like in the actual viewing, there was a villain in the Batgirl part of the film. I can't even remember his name because I think I blocked it out of my memory for how ridiculously tacked on this guy was. And my friend that I saw it with was like, and why was that villain in this movie? And Mm -hmm. he was just some (laughs) no name person. Um, So that was terrible. They needed to fill time is what it ultimately came down to. So that was horrible. And then so I thought they were also just too faithful to the graphic novel. It was pain by pain by pain. Mm -hmm. And this is a book I loved, but I mean, it's a graphic novel. There's all these places in between the pains that my imagination fills in, but they kept with like sort of the, the ridiculousness of it. So I never felt like the Joker really tormented Gordon that much. I never felt that, um, uh, that uh, the Joker was as maniacal as he was in the graphic novel to me. I didn't even buy the ending at all. It was just like two chums like slapping each other on the back, sharing a joke. It was ridiculous. Um, so I was I was like offended by that sort of pain to pay portrayal. And the biggest one is in the graphic novel. There's like Joker almost breaks out into a musical number. And they put that in the movie. So there's a place where he's like breaks out into song. And I was like, I, I almost got up and left when he broke out into song in the movie. Well, you, you say they're, you know, kind of slavish to the story and they frame by frame. But this actually came up in the press conference. And I can't remember with who the question was asked. But one of the striking things about the book is Brian Boland's art. Um, whether you like the story or not, his art is pretty darn incredible in that book but the film sort of took their the mainstream look of all the other dc universe animated films and it was just 2d animation that looked like all looked like you know batman and robin batman and son you know all whatever the other ones were and so it sort of stripped away the unique nature of his art and just tacked that story onto generic animation i thought they did the same thing when they did the dark knight yeah. Uh, returns, um, which is, you know, love or hate Frank Miller, that art is distinctive. Exactly. And they just sort of muted, you know, it just, and, and I can see what he's saying. He's saying he wanted his living night, his nightmare to come to life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always thought Killing Joke art, by the way, would have been better off with somebody like Jay Lee or Bill uh, Sankwitz. Um, somebody with this uh, really nightmarish uh, style mm-hmm. instead of Boland's really clean lines and um, everything looks really bright and happy. I would have picked an artist that made it moodier like uh, Gibbons in uh, Watchmen. Yeah. Um, I think rather than Boland, but I think that know, art though is probably a very conscious decision to make it, you know, very clean, very colorful, very vibrant, um, not cartoony, um, but very, very um, evocative. You know, it jumps off the page with the colors and the lines, and I think that that was probably a very intentional, intentionally done to to run counter to the story. So they're telling this very emotionally complex, disturbing story. But because it's the Joker, it's all bright, happy colors and and it jumps off the page and it wants you to be happy, even though what you're reading is not at all happy. And I think that's that's the Joker. You know, that's what the Joker is. He's he's all color and smiles and jokes while he's bashing your knees in and, and beating you to crap. I, I will say there are some redeeming parts of the movie did you find any redeeming parts of the film oh we actually we didn't jamie we didn't ask you what you thought of it yeah 
<laughs> now, I don't have the history that you guys do with the story. I I actually ha- never read the book until very recently. Um, and so I don't have that history of it being formative for me. I mean, there are other formative Batman stories for me. Um, the Killing Joke is not one of them. Um, so I came to it with the baggage of everybody, of, of you know, the, the the controversy that it, that's already stirring. So I could read it from both perspectives. I didn't fall in love with it. I didn't hate it. I could see the complaint. I could see the criticisms of it, but I didn't. I don't think that it's a definitive, defining Batman story. That I don't. I don't understand why it's lasted the ages. Let's just put it at that. And probably the less said about the movie, the better. I kind of agree with you, Kishore. I, I, I have to tell you, my son um, downloaded it and watched it. Yeah. But he got it from a torrent site. He's 17. Yeah. So he spent yesterday busy recutting it. Oh, no. uh, he cut off the first, the additional parts of the movie. So he cut it to be just like the book? Yes. Nice. And then he pointed out to me that there's a mid-scene credit with uh, sort of the birth of Oracle with Barbara Gordon in her wheelchair. And so I asked him, does it say Oracle co-created by John Ostander and Kim mm-hmm. Yale? And he said no. And I said, well, then I don't like Well, it. then I will not be watching. <laughs> yes. I will say there there are a few redeeming qualities to the film. Like, let's not paint it all now, over the bad Okay, brush. okay. Before you go, in, I, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill as Batman and Robin are, they will redeem almost anything as those yeah. voices. And I, you know, I love them. They, I mean, they, you know, it's the cliche that they could read the phone book. Man, if the, if the two of them could just sit there and, and read the iTunes, you know, end user agreement as Batman and Robin, I would listen to it. Now, what and Batman and Joker, story? Sorry. What story would you li- Batman story would you like to see them do that they haven't already done, Jamie? As an animated movie? Yeah. You know, this is funny. Now, when I got into comics, and this might reveal my age, um, but it also reveals how relatively late in my life that I came to Batman. I got into Batman with the whole um, Nightfall, Night's End mm-hmm. storyline, mm-hmm. and I really fell hard for the Azrael character. I really, huh? really like that character, and I think that... Even though Azrael is such a hot mess. It's a hot mess, and his solo book was really hit or miss, and I, but I loved it anyway. Um, and that period of, you know, the mid-90s is sort of... It's not really well looked on, um, if by Doug, most Doug Monch yeah 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 Finn, uh you know uh, Graham Nolan yeah that was sort of that was the time of the speculators and you know all those Robin miniseries so anything that came out at that time like the death of Superman was also around that time there those storylines are not well looked upon but I would love to see that cycle like the Night's End Night's um Night's Quest and I can't remember the third one um, but that cycle where Batman, you know, gets his gets his back broken, you know, the first appearance of Bane and when, you know, Azrael comes in to take over the mantle and just goes crazy. Um, I would love to see that done as an animated film because I think that could be really compelling. What about you guys? I mean, the 
the ones that I've wanted to see made have been made in some way, shape, or form. So, like, Under the Red Hood is my favorite Batman animated movie because I think it was what the killing joke wanted to be, showing the Joker as a cruel, cruel person and watching that crowbar hit Jason over and over and over again was incredibly effective. Um, the one that, I mean, my favorite Batman story is the long Halloween Mm -hmm. and versions of the long Halloween have been made into like Batman begins and Batman uh, and the dark Knight and all of these other elements. So I don't feel like I've been deprived of it. Um, but I would love to see that in animated form of a slightly more faithful adaptation. Yeah, I agree with you. There. I'll, I'll go back a little. Well, actually forward from a little bit in between you guys, which is a lonely place of dying. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's which, a great story. Uh, you know, where Tim Drake figures it out and uh, Nightwing, Titans, Batman, you know, that I would love to see an animated uh, version of that. Uh, and the Joker, I think, is in can't remember if he's in that or if he appears in and around that, but that that's what I would love to see. They, I think the 90s comics get sort of a bad rap. There was some really tremendous uh, work going on there. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of fluff, a lot of stuff that we could have done without, but there there were a lot of gems buried in there that people tend to forget. I agree with you. Well, you know, and I should shut up, lest I say sound like, men bad um except for john ostrander it was jordan gorfinkel who was an editor um for dc who had the idea for the birds of prey and then it was chuck dixon um who went and made the first 50 issues of books of of birds of prey which turned that was the book that got me back into comics after i hadn't been reading it for a while so it wasn't like some feminist savior wrote in it was the male creators who were there who uh, pulled these characters forward I also want to jump in and say something uh, else for the dumpster fire that has been the DC extended universe action, <laughs> live action films. The DC animated universe by far and away has been really yes. good. And this is the first miss. I mean, this is a really big miss, but it's, it's the first notable miss because there's a lot of incredible movies in this universe that are excellent adaptations. Like, don't go see Suicide Squad. Go watch Assault on Arkham in the animated version. Much better version of that movie. Um, so uh, I think that's part of the reason I'm so disappointed is that DC and Warner Brothers have been under-delivering in the live-action world and I think in some way over-delivering in the animated world. And this is the first time in a while that I recall it just didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And with that... We're going to go ahead and we're going to play uh, the interviews from the press conference at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, who we've got coming up, the, the, I can't remember the order that we talked to him, but who you're going to be hearing are screenwriter Brian Azzarello, uh, the director of the film Sam Liu, the executive producer Bruce Tim, who is probably the reason that I went to that um, press conference in the first place, because he was the one of the founding voices of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, Ray Wise, who plays Commissioner Gordon, Tara Strong, who plays Batgirl, and Kevin Conroy, who plays Batman. I am sorry, but Mark Hamill was not in attendance. Um, Karina and Kishore, thank you guys so much for joining. How can people find you online? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Karina Lawson, on Facebook as Karina Lawson, two R's, one N. And my website is www.karina.lawson.com. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Science Quiche. Quiche as in the French egg tart. Uh, <laughs> You can find my science videos at Tested.com, my weekly science podcast, Inquiring Minds on MotherJones.com, and the science festival I run at BayAreaScience.org. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on. And uh, if we haven't turned the listeners off to The Killing Joke yet, um, crack open the book, watch the film, make up your own mind, take a listen to these interviews, um, and uh, let let us know what you think, because... Uh, it takes all kinds, and I know that there are people out there who just adore this, this story, and there were fans of the film. We just didn't happen to be three of them. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. I'm uh, good. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really bad at these interviews, and I get a little so deer in the headlights. So, <laughs> All right, perfect. It's about then. the balance of obviously wanting to you know, honor the original source material, but making something, too, for a new audience. Um... So, uh, you know, I think as most people know, we're uh, adding like a prologue to it. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the, the source material is so iconic. I think we wanted, you know, we had discussions of, you know, uh, how faithful do we stick to it, you know, given how controversial it is. And um, I think that we would probably get into even more trouble if we didn't, if we weren't faithful to it, you know. And so right from the start, it was, uh, the mandate was sort of, we we're going to be as, 100% faithful as we possibly can to the source material and the stuff that we play with is basically how do we sort of get into it to it from the the, the prologue I suppose uh, Sam how long have you guys uh, at D, you know DC Animation been wanting to make this story uh, into a motion picture has it been many years or did it only come up recently that this opportunity came along um, it's been on the table uh, at least three times that I know of and so uh, going back how long I think because like the first like DC animated universe movie I think was 2007 with Superman uh, Doomsday. Uh, shit, was it that or was it? Before? Okay, because I think production was a little bit before that. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, but uh, but around there. I mean, I think it's 2000, probably nine. Because I came back to DC, I think in 2008, I believe. So that's seven, eight years ago. Yeah, 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 wow. yeah, yeah. Um, when I did. Uh, all-Star Superman, I remember it was on the table, and Brandon, who did Red Hood, was originally going to do Killing Joke then, but they couldn't get, they decided not to do it, and so he got Red Hood, uh, but when Red Hood was going was to go into production, that was originally supposed to be the slot for Killing Joke, okay. so was, that was the first time that I had heard of it. Um, and then uh, I think it came up again when I was on a series, but I, I wasn't in the, the home video stuff, so I wasn't... I'm not, I, I can't give a specific date then, um, but then I just know that it came up again now, and uh, yeah, we decided to go through with it. As a fan on any level, have you seen this movie in your head? Have you dreamed of making a story like this into reality as a motion picture? Um, you know, I mean, to be quite honest, I, I didn't think it would, and I think this is some of the, the, the feelings that like, uh, like Bruce and some of the other people, I don't want to speak for them, um, but I think there's certain stories that work great as comic books but may not work as well as you know as a film you know because I think my problem with, with this was like at the beginning of it and I'm glad that's why we sort of put in the prologue is because you start immediately with Batman going to the you know the jail the prison or Arkham and then you then just you know has this really deep psychological discussion with Joker and you know if you don't know Batman if you're not 
you know, up to speed with like kind of what's going, how dark this is, it's it's kind of, I think it's kind of abrupt, you know. Well, you're in the middle of the story, basically. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, and if you don't know them, and then you're going through this whole sort of psychological, you know, very deep personal kind of things with each other, and if you don't know these characters, who you're not going to care, you know. And so, um, I never thought like, on its own, it would be a great uh, movie, you know. I mean. Um, this is a tangential thing, but I'll try to make it real quick. But I remember when I was at Marvel, we were there's was a there's a point where we were thinking about you know like what story do we do? And um, the Thor Better Ray Bill story came up, you know, and we all you guys are all familiar with that, right? And you know I remember when it came out, I was just like, oh hell yeah, like that's the, that's such a great story. But then when you're reading it, you know, you're kind of going like, wow. Um, you know, okay, this alien picks up this hammer. Who's gonna know that that hammer is, you know, can only be picked up by the worthy? Like, a common person's gonna hook like, so what? You know? And then, like, am I getting bumped? Okay, so, um, but then after that, you're like, okay, Thor gets beat up, he loses his hammer, and he's hurt, and he's crying, you know? And then his dad comes in and gives him, a, you know, like, okay, you fight again, he loses again, then his dad goes, okay, I'll, I'll make two hammers now, you know? And then, you know, better rebuild, like, I gotta go do this noble thing, and his girlfriend goes with him, you know. So Thor looks. So again, like I just I remember it being like this amazing, you know. I can't remember if it was like four issues or six issues um, as a kid. But when I was when we were looking at it as far as like making trying to potentially make it into a movie, I was just like, this is a horrible Thor story, <laughs> you know. One thing that we've been talking about with the other interviews is just how far the tone goes. In this right. Harder. I mean, the story pretty much determined that from the word go. How difficult was it to determine just how far you could go in terms of tone and in story as well? I mean, what, what, where, where did the conversations sort of like lead you in terms of where you wanted to go with the characters? You know, again, I think we, um, uh, I think a lot of it was is sort of like the controversial kind of things, right? Where we were kind of like, well, what do you think happened here? You know, and what did you think happened here? You know, and so. Well, it, well, what was the vote at the end then? Uh, with the uh, light, with the flashlight. What was the vote? At the end? <laughs> See, that's the thing. Is just like I, I don't know if I should say because I think it's, <laughs> I think really is it's a thing where, you know. Uh, Subjective. Some people will think one, and they will defend it. Yeah. You know, and other people will think the other, and I think that's great. I think it's perfectly fine that one person thinks one. So I almost feel like. You know, I mean, obviously, I wasn't the creator of the original thing, but it's, it's just my interpretation. So I almost think it's probably better if I don't say because it's. I think it's better when you know people, they've made their own decision, and I think it's it, 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 it's strong enough to sort of validate whatever you think, kind of a thing. You know, so. Um, but we, anyways, we had to sort of decide, or at least I had to sort of figure out. Okay, well, Bruce, what do you say here, and what do you? So we had to make it sort of like ambiguous enough where you could still, as an audience, to ask yourself the question that did this happen or did that happen. Um, but there was a, a, a conscious line as far as, you know, where to pull it, you know what I mean? Um, I mean, we haven't actually seen the book. I mean, is the question asked in the book about whether he did or didn't do it? I mean, because in the, in the book, the discussion about whether that actually happened. Right. And happened pretty recently, sort of like down the line, someone brought it up as a, oh no, you, you right. didn't read this? Right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Is it actually implicit in the film? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, I don't think we tip one way or the other, really, you know? Again, because I think we were, well, I don't think we had an agenda to kind of go like, no, 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 we got to prove that this is how it went, you know? Um, because I think we were very aware that it was a thing where, did it happen or it didn't happen? I mean, we have our own ideas of if it did or did not, but, you know. But, uh, Sam, going back to what you said earlier, so uh -huh. when this film, you know, gets on the plate and you're, and you're getting the gig to do it, how do you mentally rectify, you know, your issues with the story and, and maybe not thinking it works 
uh, best as a film, and, and what do you do to fix those issues, um, and and to make you know to make it more accessible? Well, I mean, I, um, again, I think the reason it's R is because it's it's it's, it's a dark story, you know, and I think and probably uh, like many years ago, that probably wouldn't have been possible. I don't think. I don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah, um, they didn't want an R, right. you know, um, animated movie, you know. Um, but um, I like the fact, I mean, as a creative, I like the fact that we can tell stories that you know about dark people. Right. Do you know what I mean? It may not be um, like you know things that you want to necessarily deal with on a daily life and stuff like that. But I still feel like there there's there's, th there's stories you know as a creative that you know is okay to explore. But I think a lot of it comes down to sort of like, you know, the responsibility of sort of like, you know, uh, what, like, who's involved in it or what pieces do you put into it, you know? And I think like kind of what we did, it's still a horrible story. I mean, no, there's no way around it. It's just, it's just a horrible story, you know? But I think we are trying to flesh out who Barbara is and who, and give her basically, you know, a, like a, a who, who she is, you know, She's a daughter, you know what I mean, to this person, to you know Commissioner Gordon. Obviously, um, she was you know a, a sidekick, a partner with Batman. Um, she was a hero, and he was a hero, and she was a hero, you know. Um, but then, sort of, what were the events that sort of caused certain things to happen, and then what leads into the killing joke, you know? So I think, I mean, I think if people just have a, a problem with her being being shot, you know, or at least that's being the obviously the most controversial one. It's just sometimes there are stories where horrible things happen, you know what I mean? And you know, as a device, is it? Responsible to to use that as a device, like no, but that's that's part of the thing right now. But so as as far as like us sort of trying to w remake this, you know, potential mistakes and whatever, we're just trying to at least give her, you know, what I mean, such as a person, she's not just a device, you know. Um, one thing that I, I that I took away from this story that I love a lot is that it sort of explores a kinship between Joker and Batman, mm -hmm. and um, the, the Arkham games are very interesting. They took some obvious cues from this story before, you know, you guys made the animated movie. Uh -huh. And one interesting thing they did in Arkham City, there was a painting oh. uh, of Cain and Abel. Uh-huh. Sort of making it a parallel. Well, Batman and Joker are, are like Cain and Abel. In, uh -huh. in some ways, they are fine. They have this bond almost as brothers. Do you see that at all? Or is that is that insane to, you know, to make that connection? Well, I mean, I think they're... They're parallels in like you know the they're, they're birth from tragedy basically you know like extreme tragedy um, and um, one went one one way and one went the other way but they both very easily could have gone the same way as the the other you know um, and so I think they were you know again just these you know people that came out of this you know primordial stew and one became one one became the other kind of a thing you know. Um, so I guess in that sense, I mean, you know, I, could, there, I think there's a kinship, you know, and it be, now it becomes this philosophical debate about, you know, what are we going to do about it, you know. Would you say Joker is insane, or would you say he's sane but has no morals and is very calculating, and even though he presents, projects this manic persona, he knows what he's doing and, and is, you know, pushing the buttons on purpose? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I feel like he definitely knows what he's doing. I mean, again, that's just my my take Absolutely. on it. You know, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, I I, I, I feel like um, I feel like he's like an iconoclast, basically. You know what I mean? Or an anarchist. You know, sure. he's somebody that is basically challenge 
you know, institutions, you know. Yeah, and I think that's the whole thing of the chilling joke is like, what is Batman's thing? What is the, the head of the police? What do you, what do you stand behind? What do you, what are your morals? And what happens when, you know, something, you know, that bad day thing happens or something that just doesn't work out? And then what do you, now what do you have? You know, do you still stand behind these things or not? You know. Okay. So does Batman kill Joker again? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's, one, there's one in every crowd, isn't there? There is a reason. There is one in every crowd. We had a conversation just then where it was very much an ambiguity. Well, there is an ambiguity to it. Is it still that ambiguity? Yes. Where do you see Batman in the stage of his career at the start of the story? Is he near the end? Is it just... I mean, I know that they're at Whitford. He's at Wits with the Joker. With the Joker. Yeah. I mean, it's the ultimate struggle between good and evil. It's the conflict that everyone's been waiting for for so long and there's a scene towards the end of the movie I'm so proud of where I'm just trying to pull it out of Joker um, that I, I think the audience is really going to be happy with I know I was happy with it and I, and I think I think um, Mark was um, I remember back with Arkham City uh, I think Mark said that would be his last time as the Joker and then um, I think he he also said that this story would bring him back one yeah. more time. But now he's also back in, in Justice League action. So should we maybe not believe him when he said he, uh, when he say he's going to be retiring his voice as a Joker from I now think, on? Well, I think it was just that Mark was just saying that because I mean when he said it, I was so shocked because I know how great he is at it, yeah, and exactly. I know how much he loves doing right. it. He was just saying that out of frustration. I think I think that was a moment of frustration because he, he wanted to do more stuff. No, no, he loves no, he no. I know he's not playing with people because he absolutely respects the fans as much as I do. We've spoken about that a lot. The Batman fans are the most passionate in the industry. I mean, they're amazing, and we wouldn't have jobs without them. So I am enormous, enormously respectful of them, and I know Mark is. No, that came out of just his own personal actor frustration of. I want to play something else, you know. He was—he had been only been given that for a number of years, and he wanted to do something else. So it's not a last call for you guys. This no, not for Excellent. me. Excellent. I hope it's not for him. Fantastic. I mean, I you've done a lot of different Batman stories at this point, and some of them have been original, some of them have been adaptations. Is there still a story out there that you really want that has not been done yet? You know, I'm not as familiar with the. Batman library as you guys probably are. I really came to this as an, as an actor. Um, Mark turned me on to The Killing Joke. Um, I really wasn't aware of it. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. So there probably are stories out there I'd love to do that I'm not aware of yet. I loved Mask of the Phantasm. I, thought, I still think that's the best Batman movie. Although this may, this may take over. This may take over. But up until now, I think that was the best Batman movie. I'd love to see you guys do The Death of the Family. The Death of the Family? Okay, I'll ask, I'll ask Mark about that one. But I do want to do a musical. I think we got to do Batman the Musical. Well, think about it. Mark is a Broadway singer. I'm a singer. Tara Strong's a singer. We've got so many voices in the show. We could, we could, we could, it could be killer. I mean, I think, uh, the one thing 
about the, uh, the Killing Joke as a story is, um, so certainly for fans, is just how far the story goes in terms of tone. I mean, this is a hard art uh, animation at the end of the day. When you saw and read the script, and when you saw where they were going with the story, how shocked were you? I mean, in contrast to the other Batman that you've done. Oh, I was completely shocked. Yeah. I thought, well, how are they going to do this? Um, because they hadn't decided to do an R rating really? initially. Oh, okay. they, they, or if they had, they hadn't told me. I don't know. I hadn't heard about that. So I was going into it, I thought, how are, are they going to, well, it's very graphic. Um, and it's, it's really rough uh, stuff that happens in this. And I thought, how are they going to do this? You know, um, They told me to just go with it, and they were going to work it out. I thought, well, they'll edit a lot of this out, I'm sure. I thought, this is going to, a lot is going to be edited out of this. And then they didn't. And they said, well, we're just going to go with an R rating instead. I think, wow. which I really respect. Yeah, yeah. That moment that he, sorry, that, that um, he reaches out to the Joker and says, basically, look, we are, we might kill each other. Isn't there something I can do? I love that. I love yeah, that. I, mean, I love yeah, playing that, a, that. Is that a moment of true humanity? Did you play that for a moment? Oh, of absolutely. Or, or is Batman being the ultimate cop and saying, you know, hey, yeah, tell me about it? Oh no, no, no. I, I am, I am begging with him. I'm just trying to pull something out of him. Um, I, I loved playing that whole as that section of it. Um, I don't know what else I can tell you. Did I hope you, you enjoy it. Did you slip in as Bruce Wayne? Uh, when you're asking you that question, did you switch from Batman to Bruce Wayne, or did you stay oh, as Batman? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. No, I don't think I did. Is there a same? Is it the same person, or do you feel like is it Batman at the core? Is it? Oh, it's Batman at the core. Okay. It's absolutely Bruce Wayne's the performance. I've always okay. felt that. He's the artifice he puts on to face the world. He's most comfortable when he's in the cave. And how about between you and Gordon? You and Gordon. When, uh, when it is, you know, him saying, hey, you got to pull back. You're I still know. A cop, or you're still on the right side of the I wall. Know. And yeah, where, where's Batman's mind at that moment? Like, I know. And it was so interesting working with Ray Weiss, having a different actor in that role. Um, uh, he's a wonderful actor. Were you, because Ray said you weren't able to work together. I, That's one. Last one. Ray said you were in the oh, yeah, that, so, yeah. so did you just have Ray in your yeah, mind? I was, yeah, because I knew that um, Bob Hastings, of course, isn't with us anymore. Sure. And I was wondering how he would do this. You're always imagining how the other actors can play. With Mark, I know. Right. Because Mark wasn't there either. He right. was off doing Star Wars, which is the first time he and I haven't recorded together. Yeah, we're always record together. Wow. The first time ever. I think so. Everybody Except, can. no, in some of the games we haven't because... They have to have clean takes. So sometimes in the games we be together, but sometimes not. But in, in terms of the, the interactive, you know, the act, the actor things, the, the TV shows and the movies, we've always been together. This is the first time we haven't been. And it was because of Star Wars. Okay. Thank you, Thank you, Kevin. How long has this idea been in your head that you could turn this into a movie? Was it only recently that it got into your head or had it ever occurred to you many years before? It's never been on my wish list. Of, of, of all the Batman properties, it's never been one that I was like dying to do. I've always kind of dreaded the idea of turning it into a movie. Why? Uh, because it's um, it's not obviously cinematic material. I mean, it's it's a, a obviously a very powerful comic, um, but it doesn't kind of tick all the boxes that a traditional Batman movie has. It's not an action story at all. It's a psychological drama. Batman doesn't do anything in the story 
he doesn't even like solve any of the crimes. I mean, you know, the Joker has to send him an invite to tell him where he's at. And then at the end of it, Batman doesn't win. Um, so it's things that I, I, I knew it would be kind of a tough sell for audiences, but um, when we did decide to go ahead and do it as a feature, um, we made the decision early on to not quote unquote fix it by trying to turn it into a summer blockbuster and give it a more you know slam bang finale or to make it more obviously cinematic we thought well okay it's 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 famous for a reason we need to trust the source material and just stick to it and that kind of made it easier it's like okay well let's just turn all this into cinema as best we can it's just not going to be an action film it's going to be a weird, it's more david lynch than michael bay and the, um, sorry, uh, i actually got short changed because <laughs> uh, someone got pulled away before the question got answered. Um, one of the strongest elements of uh, The Killing Joke is the design aspect, uh, the, yeah. the art from yeah, yeah. Bolon in the book. Um, in this, you've actually gone more towards the traditional uh, DC animated adventures style, as it were, not so much towards the Brian Boland. Well, we did as was much as we could. Yeah, we did as much as we could. Uh, his style is ridiculously realistic yeah. it, in such a way that I mean there's not another artist in the world who draws like him sure. you know of all the people who like oh yeah there's a bunch of people who draw like Neil Adams or draw like Jack Kirby there's only one Brian Ballin yeah. and there, that's a reason there's a reason for that um, we did what we could to kind of like put in little touchstones in the way he draws the ears or the way he draws Joker's teeth or whatever um, uh, it does overall more resemble like Batman animated series than it does the more recent fi New 52 style movies deliberately um, but we did even there we tried to make a distinct point of the characters or their proportions are more realistic you know Joker or Batman's shoulders are not to here with a little tiny waist and little <laughs> tiny legs he's 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 more proportionately like, you, like a human the, being um, the, the the YouTube, uh, the fan uh, trailer, that someone's actually redrawn the trailer in the Brian Boland style. Have you seen that? No. No. Fair enough. But so. it, as you said, this is a challenge to do a more psychological animated yeah, yeah, yeah. film. Yeah. And, and talk about that evolution from really, God, 25 years ago when you guys started to where we are now yeah. in terms of the sophistication of stories and, and what you can do and get away with. Well, I mean, for better or worse, uh, things that are acceptable nowadays, even on like regular primetime TV, are unheard of. I mean, I watch, you know, when I watch a show like Hannibal or even Gotham, it's like, even 10 years ago, there's no way that stuff would have been airable on primetime TV, but, you know, people have either gotten more used to it or they're becoming desensitized to it or what. I don't know. I, I, I myself am shocked, you know, uh, but... Uh, and the, the whole idea of doing, you know, more adult-oriented, you know, feature films, animated feature films, again, that was unheard of. You know, even when we did our first PG-13 one, it was like, holy cow, really? So, um, Liberating I mean... Liberating or frustrating? What do you think? No, it's... it's, it's, it's or it just is what it is? It just or? is what it is, okay. you know? It's not like, oh, I've always wanted to do an R-rated superhero movie. I never really have, but it, whatever works for the story. Was it ever a discussion to, to pull back and not do an R and... Yeah, oh, we, we talked about it, but um, from the very beginning, we told the home video people, it's like, okay, if you give us a green light and we make this movie, the subject material is such that we might very well get an R rating. And if we have to pull it back to a PG-13, we'll probably compromise the story and we'll probably piss off a lot of fans. So we should probably 
go for the R if it comes to that. And, and they said yes, reluctantly, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll support that. Um, it's not like we pushed it, to, to, we didn't go over the top with it. We wanted to just, like use our own barometer of taste and, and, and respect. Um, but we, we, did it, we did what we did with it, submitted it to the MPAA, and sure enough, got an R rating. And God love the home video people, they said, okay, fine, we'll go with it. Do you think it's going to so. set a precedent? Like, are you going to, do you think that they'll, okay, now we've done it once, so it's possible, so let's think about what we can do. Uh, put it this way, I think it's possible. I don't think every film, this is kind of a special case because it's The Killing Joke. It's a famous comic. Yeah. Uh, There's actually not that many other Batman stories that go this far. No, it's really true. It's really true. So, uh, but if we ever do end up getting another R, and then the home video people look at it and do the numbers and go, well, maybe, maybe not. So it could happen. I don't think it's the new paradigm. Uh, Bruce, now that it's done, it's here, it's going to get uh, a pretty sizable uh, theatrical uh, release mm -hmm. next week, and, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Tickets are selling well. Um, I mean, is this one of your most uh, proudest pieces of work as, as an animator and storyteller? You know, that's really hard to say. Uh, I, at this point, I'm too close to it. I think it's really, really good. Um, I, I'm proud of it. I'm quite proud of it. Uh, time will tell whether it actually is one of my, 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 my better things that I've been associated with or not. Because, like I said, at this point in time, I'm just way too close to it. I can't I'm, tell. I'm just so happy to see it you know, finally happen because I, I, think, fan, I think I myself as a fan have wanted to see this for years, and I think many, many fans would agree. And cool. We're very right excited. On. Awesome. Have cool. you any thoughts on doing any of the Scott Snyder stories? Of what? The Scott Snyder run at the new. Oh, oh, oh um, I, I'm actually not that familiar with them. I right, honestly okay. don't read a lot of modern comics. Okay. But what do you read? I don't read hardly anything. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just, I'm just really. Who are the DC characters you haven't had a chance to play with yet that you'd still like to? Oh, I don't know. There's a bunch. Okay. Really, no Silver yeah. Age things coming to mind right away. I've, I've gotten to play with most of my favorites, but okay. they you know, we'll see. Something tells me comics are not. Uh, certainly, uh, while you are obviously uh, an appreciator of them, they're not the, uh, the top of your uh, your your personal. Dude, so I go home. You, I watch reality TV. <laughs> I, I do not even watch scripted television. I watch Storage Wars and Project Runway because I don't want to think about storytelling when I go home. First, thanks so. for everything. Thank you, Thank you guys. Thank you for your time. Actually, we had to add some stuff to it. Oh yeah, I mean the, that it's 48 pages. You know that was maybe we would have got a little bit more than a half hour out of it. So no, no we're definitely the 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 challenge was adding material to the Killing Joke that seemed like it was always in the Killing Joke. The material that you added, though, is, it, is it, how do you think people react to it? What do you mean? Come on. Yeah. You know how they're going to react to it. Yeah. Some are going to like it and some are going to hate it. That's. <laughs> I mean, that's Fair just enough. the way it works. Fair enough. You know, as long as they react to it, that's all I care. Brian, in recent uh, years, this story has gotten a lot more controversy and criticism for the way it depicted uh, Barbara Gordon's role in the story. Do you think any of those criticisms, in, you know, that have come up more in recent years, you know, you know, due to you know, women's depicting a comic and superhero comics and stories. Do you think they're valid, or, or I mean, do you think they're misinterpreting the work? What are your thoughts? I think they're valid, and it's something that we addressed. That's why the, the first third of the film 
focuses on uh, Barbara Gordon. Uh, it's all new material. But, um, yeah, because she was essentially, she was there to get shot in the original. And I think that that stuff, just as, as a, we're looking at story structure, coming at it from comics, all you guys read comics, you know who Barbara Gordon is, there's a certain shorthand that exists in your mind, and it doesn't bother you. But if, if, if you don't know who that character is, and, and especially in a movie, it's, it, it really stands out. Like, you know, she's just there to get shot and then to cry in the hospital. You know, all she's is, you know, the daughter there. So there was something, you know, it was fleshing out that character was something that was very important to us. This is, a, this is a hard R story. It's R, all right. Yeah, and are you, I mean, are you satisfied with how far you were able to go? I mean, what, where do you think the line was? They told uh, Bruce, Tim, and uh, Alan Burnett told me, don't pull any punches, and in fact, push it, which is what I did. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely tonally it's it's very faithful to the original. Does it have to be an odd, a hard R? Do you think? Did, could the story have existed without going that distance in terms of it uh, as have, a filmmaker? I don't think it would have been the no? same story. No. no, I mean, you know, the 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 pivot point in that story is hard to take. Yeah, you know, and if you soften that. Sure. Really changes. It is the, the truly the one bad day. Yeah. yeah. This is really one of the most iconic uh, Batman stories ever. I was wondering if you ever saw that. You know, they sort of ripped this story on South Park once. And just sort of how. No, iconic, I never saw that. <laughs> uh, there, there, there was a, a thing with on South Park where they kind of made a whole parody of that moment uh, where. Uh, Gordon's uh, trip uh, on the tr on the train yeah, yeah. train ride. That scene was basically reconstructed in South Park as a gag. So oh. I guess, what do you think of this? What is it about this story that makes it so iconic and classic that it's sort of it, it's become it's part of you know the the lexicon. It, it, it's very that it becomes pastiche later on. Well, it's so well constructed. I mean, and it, and. It is. Joker has a point. Joker's point is, I can understand it, you know, that we're all him, save for one bad day. He's almost not, um, you know, the typical Joker for, like, utter lunacy. It's almost a very sane approach to sending someone over the edge. It's, I think that's the menace that uh, comes over across in the story. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. Dini recently said that the Joker isn't insane, that he's very calculating, and it's a, he knows what he's doing. And it is kind of, how's your interpretation? No, he's crazy. I don't agree <laughs> with that at all. No. <laughs> Where's Batman in the story right now? Where do you, like, I mean, are they... He's crazy, too. <laughs> when you started writing this story, um, I don't know if Kevin and Mark were attached to it. How was it hearing their voices? Because their voices were so iconic. Uh, you know, no, I didn't do that. Not at all. At all, not at all. I'd sit there in silence. <laughs> you know, all I hear is myself because I'm talking this stuff through. <laughs> what is your Batman like? Uh, <laughs> do you just go lower? A little, yeah, <laughs> and, and slower, lower and slower. <laughs> you enjoy doing animation, or is, you know, I mean, this is just a nominee. It's, so far. Yeah, it's, yeah, I've done it. It's, it's not 
Um, yeah, I enjoy it. It takes a lot longer, though. Why? You know? Because th there's a lot more steps involved. I mean, it doesn't take any longer for me. I love writing a script and three months later a book's out. That's great. You know, this was like write the script and two years later. <laughs> uh, Brian, I don't know if you ever thought of... Uh, well, you said six minutes. It's, it's been five minutes. <laughs> okay. All right, come on. All right, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming, sir. Oh, thank you. Can I tell you how much I love this Yes, please. <laughs> yes, I loved Reaper too. Can it come bring it back? Oh, I wish we could. I you still know? love him from RoboCop. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> I, I, I loved RoboCop. I, I, I could have played Reaper forever. Is this your? Uh, I'm guessing this is nowhere near your first comic comic book. I think it's my fourth or Full fifth, or something like that. Yeah. How's it been so far? Has oh, great! Enjoyed uh, meeting yeah, and Yeah, yeah, it's great to meet uh, such enthusiastic fans you know <laughs> really and they and knowledgeable they know your stuff I mean these people are coming up to me and they remember stuff I did 40 years ago and that's 45 <laughs> years ago is that daunting do you feel like if you mess something up they're gonna call you on it uh, maybe a little daunting yeah <laughs> maybe a little uh, I don't know Stalkerish? <laughs> a little creepy? Yeah, a little, yeah, that. But, but, then, but then realizing how, you know, how long I've been doing it and how old I'm getting, that, that's kind of... <laughs> yeah. So what, what appealed to you for Jim Gordon and doing Jim Gordon? Well, it was a great script. I mean, the guy, that fella just... Brian. Oh, man. You know, and, uh, and, uh, and of course, I, I was, I've been a big fan of Batman since I was about eight or nine years old. And I always thought that Kevin is the perfect Batman. You know, uh, Kevin will always be the epitome of Batman for me. Whenever he opens up his mouth, that's it. Yeah. The thing and, about the killing joke is, though, it does go in different places than any other Batman story. Goes. Yeah. And specifically with Jim Gordon in terms of pushing the world. How did that, how did you approach that in the script? In terms well, it was of very, uh, you know, uh, uh, some of the physical uh, things that Jim Gordon was going through, I was trying to, of course, do vocally, you know. And so it was, uh, it was a, a laborious process and, and, and one that was very demanding. And, uh, and I had to make a lot of different noises and squeals and screams and grunts and groans. Put through the ringer. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a good way of putting it. Did you guys all record together or were you individually? Oh, individually, yeah. Did that, did that, I mean, you're an actor, so you've gone through this and you're, you know what you're doing, but yeah. was it hard because so many of the scenes are so intense and so emotional and they play off, the characters play off of each other? Was it hard to do that sort of in isolation? No, it's, you know, it's like everything else, you know, you, uh, you imagine it in your head and uh, actors are very good at that, you know. We can... Had you watched Mark and, you know, Kevin do Batman and Joker over the years in animation? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, I've seen them, yeah, of course, and heard them, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Mark, Mark is a, a great, great joker. Uh, Ray, we, yeah. we hear a lot of discussions about, you know, Batman's psyche and his, you know, mental state. But what about, like, Gordon, who's always been a, he's been a constant ally and, you know, you know, pillar for Batman to rely on for decades now. Mm -hmm. But, like, what is his interactions, do you think, with Batman and Joker? What, is he... Is he is he stable himself? Is he hanging on as well as he can? I mean, what does it say about him that he constantly allies himself with Batman, and what that well, causes him? Gordon him is driven. Gordon is driven almost to the brink in this one, right. and, and emotionally, physically, in every other way. 
And uh, I and I think uh, the Gordon we see in in this is very much more of Gordon the father rather than Gordon the police commissioner. Right. Uh, he's a, he's uh, the police commissioner in moments when he tells Batman that he wants everything done by the book proper way, if it possibly can be done that way, you know. But uh, I think that he thinks it's probably not going to be able to be done that way. And 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 the ending, uh, you know, you'll have to. You'll have, have you, you, you haven't seen it, of course, yet. Have well, you? I've read, I've read the yeah, comic, yeah. but I haven't seen the movie. Well, compare our, the two. The ending is, a, huh? Compare the two, the book and the. Uh, did you read the book in preparation? Yeah. Beyond the script, compare the two without spoiling, if you can. Uh, that's hard. Okay. Our ending is a little, uh, a little different. Yeah. Uh, and I. Oh, it does doesn't have that moment with Batman and Joker. Oh yes. Okay. But it, but it goes. A little bit further than that. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. But what do you think it says about Gordon as a person that in the comics he went through he he went through what happened here in this story, and then later on in his life Joker comes back and murders his wife in cold blood, mm -hmm. and and Batman is almost driven to the point where I just have to end this guy, and Gordon's just like no. It's not right. What do you think it says about Gordon as a person and as a man that he's He's, he's keeps that integrity. Well, yeah, I think that, I think that's it. He he keeps that integrity. I think he's the he's the uh, penultimate uh, man of an, of an, of integrity, and um, and doing things the right way, the legal way, and uh, and and the moral way. You does, know? He, does he have a stronger moral backbone than uh, Batman than Batman? Does, yeah. yeah, I think maybe he does. Sure. I think Batman. I, agree with that. I think Batman is capable of uh, a lot more than Gordon is. And Gordon reigns him in, do you think? Yeah, and I think Gordon knows that, you know, yeah. and uh, and is constantly. So it's almost uh, an, an he, essential part of the Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Did your take on Gordon? Did you look at other actors and how they played it, or do you know the characters enough that you felt comfortable playing Gordon? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I saw the movies, you know, and uh, I, I like Gary uh, Oldman, you know, I, I, he's fine, but I'm not him, so I, I certainly didn't try to do an impersonation. Uh, um, I, I, you know, I, I felt comfortable with the character, and I, I liked, I liked what was on the page, and uh, well, you, you'll be the judge, you'll see it. <laughs> we got faith in you. Have you been on a set recently with Mark Frost and David Lynch? Sure. <laughs> Were you just saying hi? <laughs> yeah. And on, on pain of death, I can tell you this. Uh, we have completed 18 episodes wow. of the new Twin Peaks, all directed by Mr. Lynch. And they are being uh, put together as we speak. And... Uh, They'll be coming out, I believe, in the summer of uh, 2017. So, as as a veteran of, of genre fiction, what do you think of the evolution? Because clearly, we're at a place now that we've never been before. Do you feel that way as well as an actor? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think uh, all all the different venues now that we, you know, we, for our products, you know. And Netflix and uh, Amazon and all the internet and uh, how it's all these opportunities now for writers and actors and storytellers, you know, to and uh, 
and, and I think it's just, it just, it has just opened up a whole new, a whole new world, and especially for actors, you know, the different way, you know, I can, I can do things with my voice. I'm basically a face actor, but I, I love doing things with my voice. So, um, yeah, I mean, and genre, you know, they, they do remakes of things now, and some of them are okay, some of them I don't like so much. <laughs> I didn't need that RoboCop remake, I can tell you <laughs> that. You. No one did. No one did. I didn't need right. I'm the only person who liked that. Yes. Yeah. Fair enough. Get out. <laughs> it's just, get out. It's just like Laura Palmer said, I'll see you again in 25 years. Do you think David did this on purpose? Okay. Uh, you mean, was, it a, was it a master plan? Yes. No, no, I, I think I, I think he uh, he goes more uh, okay. off the off the top of his head a little bit more than that. Thank you, you know. Thank you, yeah. Thanks, Ray. Thank you for your time. Okay, Appreciate thank you. It. I give you Paris Strong or voice of Batgirl. Oh yeah, you got okay. How'd you do, pops? Pretty good, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna be nice to her now? Oh, we will. I promise. Best. <laughs> Promising nothing. <laughs> Uh, Tara, I guess some of the bigger changes to this story involve uh, Barbara Gordon and Batgirl's role in the story. It's, it's a 360 camera. Oh, hi! See? See, look. My, my GoPro, I'm remotely, so I'm, I'm remotely controlling the camera view from the phone. That's really cool. Yeah. I just noticed the sleeping child. Um. <laughs> That's thrown you entirely now, hasn't it? <laughs> and now she's out. So, oh. I, I guess... Like, were you familiar with, like, Batgirl's original role in the original story? And, like, a lot of people have been critical of that role in recent years. And I guess, what did you think of that role and how they uh, uh, made those changes and incorporated it into the classic story? Well, I'm a huge fan of it because I feel like now Batgirl's the star of this movie. <laughs> and um, it's so well written that the extra, the extra scenes are a seamless addition to the comic and it almost feels like when you're watching it that it was all part of the same original story. It's so geniusly crafted with the writers and the animators and all the actors involved. Like I put it on my Twitter, I think it's my favorite Batman anything I've ever seen. I just think it's so well done and I can't imagine anybody being critical of how they portray her after they see it. I mean, people are always hoping it, it you know, adds up to the hype that people have it, and they don't, they're not disappointed. And yeah. I don't think anybody would be disappointed when they did see you it. Did you read the original book? No, you uh -uh. didn't. So uh -uh. all you know really is all the, I know is this interpretation. And part of that was nice because when the moments were happening, I. I didn't know they were coming, so I was on this emotional journey with her. Yeah. In retrospect, before coming here, I wish I had read it. <laughs> but... I'm sorry, Mike, you're a little bit tired of being asked that question. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. You ha you're one of the few, but it's obviously important to know everything. But for my journey as the, as the actor portraying um, Barbara Gordon, going through all these things, I almost feel like it was better to not know where it was going and then really feel those emotional moments with her. How old is Barbara in this team? And like, you know, generally Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'd say 20s. I'd say early 20s, yeah. With this story specifically, what was important for you to bring to the character? Like, that maybe we haven't seen um, Well, I would say for sure um, an authenticity with everything she goes through as an adult. It's really the first animated version of her I've done where she's a woman. And um, it's kind of been organic to my journey playing her. You know, when I first moved to town, 
from Toronto, I'm playing Batgirl alongside of Hamill and Conroy, and I was totally starstruck and pinching myself. And then having gone through the years together, it was sort of just like no time had passed and suiting up, but at the same time, a lot has happened in my life. I'm a mom now and certainly gone through a lot. So um, it's just the darkest she's ever gone and the darkest I think any of us have ever gone. So for me, it was just more like staying true to all those moments and things that she's going through. And when I'm performing those scenes, I'm picturing them in my head and, and imagining all those things. So sometimes you'll see, if you're watching an actor session, they'll be moving their arms or doing different things. And I was certainly tearing up during some of the scenes and what, it's what, really emotional. What was your reaction to reading the script? Because this Barbara Gordon is different to pretty much every other Barbara Gordon. She really is. Ever, and it goes, yeah so far yeah um, even in those in the comic uh, way far and I'm, way I'm not, far I'm, uh, we haven't seen it yet so we don't know how far it goes in this but it's way it's far good. what was your reaction <laughs> to reading this certainly from off the back of Batgirls where it's just yeah, straightforward action kind I'd of. say it was shocking yeah. <laughs> I can honestly say it was pretty shocking I mean she does things we've never done together before and gone places she's never gone before and um, was that a challenge? I'd say um, the biggest challenge for me would be just in hopes that the people that are real fans of the comic like what we did and like this interpretation. But in those moments, I think um, I really just zone out and picture where I am. So I don't think of it as like, was this a harder scene to do or was this not? Because I'm really like in those moments. And then looking back at it, it's like, oh, I hope people respond to it. Uh, Tara, you have some very interesting perspectives because you've played, you know, Barbara Gordon background, but you've also played Harley Quinn in the Arkham series, which takes Harley into some very deeply weird psychological <laughs> place where she's so obsessed, she's equally obsessed with the Joker, and like at one point she convinces herself that she's pregnant with this baby, even uh -huh. though she was never really pregnant, she created like a false pregnancy in her mind. So, I mean, do you have this perspective of like how, of maybe even understanding how you can both simultaneously love and despise the Joker? Hmm. Well, I think for Harley, and it's part of the reason people love her so much, is her undying devotion to this sociopath, like, no matter what he does, she's completely in love with him, and the loyalty is off the chain, and so I think people are really attracted to her raw, authentic, um, emotional pull that she has with him, being that it's such a challenging relationship. I also cried when I was doing that. Spoiler, when the Joker dies, I was like... <laughs> um, and it's awfully fun for me because... Batgirl's probably the closest thing to my own voice that I that I ever do, and Harley is not. Thankfully, if I talk like that all the time, I'd probably have no friends. <laughs> um, and they're so opposite ends of the spectrum. Like, she's just like, I always tell people, like, I go in and get all my frustrations out playing Harley. <laughs> I had a session last week for a new game, and the director was like, I'm not ready for this at 9 a.m. <laughs> like, then I've done my job right. Um, so it's, it's definitely fun, and I feel really lucky to have been able to play both iconic characters. I especially enjoy those moments in the Arkham games, like where, where like the, the goons actually start hitting on Harley, and Harley's like, what are you... You're trying to move in on the Joker's turf? <laughs> great, great stuff. Thank you. Kevin and Mark have said that this might be their last call 
as Batman and Joker. Is this your last call as uh, I think they're all full of poo on that. You can quote me. Yeah. I mean, so you didn't go into this thinking this might be the last one for you? No way. Hopefully it's the start of a whole new one. That'd be great. Well, I mean, it would be amazing if this sort of spawned a new series that continued from there, and I'm sure after the fans see it, they're going to want that. Um, and, you know, if we go into Oracle and all kinds of different places, I think it would be really exciting and certainly something a lot of fans could relate to and um, just to have a role model like that would be amazing. That'd be cool. Are you oh, well, planting any seeds for Birds of Prey kind of... Uh, I think that'd be great. <laughs> I'm sure I don't have any original ideas that they all haven't thought of. I just want them to do it. That'd yeah. be fun. <laughs> yeah. Is there a character beyond Batman, is there a character that just not your favorite, but that you just really enjoy going back to? Um, well, for sure Batgirl, for sure Harley. Um, you know, once you create a character, um, in animation you really feel like they're a part of you and they live up here and they come down to make their appearances so it's always wonderful to go back to characters it's certainly heartbreaking when you're not going back to a character and someone else's especially when you molded that character um, so I feel very lucky to still be playing Batgirl after all this time. How about the evolution of attention to this kind of animation compared to when you started with the character? I think social media is such an amazing platform for fans to say how much they love us and then for us to know how much we mean to them. I'm sure my predecessors have no idea how many lives they touched, but when you come to cons and you see people saying, you know, Raven got me through my parents' divorce or Batgirl got me through my depression or whatever it is and you realize how much you touch people's lives, I think it's really gratifying and I feel very grateful for my generation to have that. Um, and just knowing like how much the fandom has grown for animation and how much respect the entertainment industry has for animation and all the celebrities that want to do animation and even video games when I first started out in gaming they didn't care to hire a quality voice director or what actors were going to be on and now games are like film so it's really uh, changed a lot and I think in a good way. Uh, Tara, um, on any level like, Andrea Romano used to talk about how she finds the Batman character very sexy, and Kevin Conroy's voice is Batman very sexy, but in playing Harley Quinn, on any level, like, do you find the Joker attractive or magnetic in his own way, or do you see why Harley would be attracted to him? Of course, he's my friend. That was the dumbest question all day. <laughs> but what about you, Tara? Well, yeah, because it's Hamill, right? How are you not attracted to okay. that kind of talent? That's okay. just, that's a talent crush right there. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. Appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you. you. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.